This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Spectrum Business works with small businesses nationwide, so we know that running your own business means doing it all. Marketing, sales, inventory, customer service, and more. Spectrum One for Business helps you keep it all connected for just $49.99 a month. Get fast, reliable internet, advanced Wi-Fi with security shield, and a free mobile line for one low price. Stay connected and do it all with Spectrum One for Business. Only $49.99 a month. Go to spectrum.com business to learn more. Restrictions apply. Services not available in all areas. This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. Hello and welcome to the Radio Times podcast with me, Jane Garvey, and our resident top, top leading and all the best things you can say about a critic, Rihanna Dillon. How are you, Rihanna? Hi, yes, really well, thanks. How are you doing? Are you prepared to admit that you're not properly dressed for this week's podcast? I knew you were going to bring this up. Well, I... I'm wearing my Harry Potter pyjamas and my Disney Hercules pink sweatshirt because we're not in studio this week. No, um, because of um, industrial action beyond our control, we are both operating from our respective homes. And I'd like to apologise, although I am wearing proper clothing and I'm fully attired, (laughs) as you'd expect for a woman of my seniority. Um, We have got scaffolders in our street, as we have more or less permanently. uh, And so they are clinking and a clanking outside. Um, And I've obviously been out and said, look, do you know who I am? And uh, can you pipe down, please, lads? And I I got a bit of a rebuttal. That's as far as I'll go. So um, we'll have to all bear with. Um, but I hope people enjoy the content of the podcast. Nevertheless, we have got some top telly as ever to talk about, um, including a series that has really made me laugh and made me think. But we'll talk about that uh, more a bit later. Um, what is on the menu this week, Rihanna? What have you got? We have got Backstage with Catherine Ryan, which is a comedy hosted by, yes, Catherine Ryan. The clue is in the title. We've got Dolly Alderton's book, which has been turned into a series with the same name, Everything I Know About Love. And of course, you spoke to Dolly on the show last week. Um, Real Britannia, which is a four-part docuseries that explores the history of modern British cinema, featuring interviews with some of Britain's greatest, predominantly male filmmakers. And you also did an interview with one of the leads of The Outlaws, which I was particularly tickled to hear about, um, because the season two is back and we'll be reviewing it later. 
Yes, The Outlaws is back and I have been talking to Gamba Cole, who stars in The Outlaws, alongside the writer and creator of it, Stephen Merchant. Here's Gamba on his role in the series and in this clip he's talking about working alongside the very funny Jessica Gunning. Absolutely magnificent. And she she's such a pro on set. Like she would be in character all day. And um, you know, when we're I just sit there and watch her and just watch her process as she like makes the decisions for her character and stuff. And for me, it was so like obviously for the scenes, you know, you can't really see these things, but it was so hard not to laugh when Jess is doing what she's doing because she's incredible. For me, she steals every scene that she's in. That is Gamba talking with great affection about the brilliant Jessica Gunning, who plays the character who's in charge-ish um, of the community service <laughs> programme. I was just going to say, I'm so glad that her role has got bigger, it seems, in this series. I think that's really great from Stephen Merchant because she is one of the funniest characters. She is an amazing actress and uh, it's good to know that she's as funny um, in, in real life and as nice in real life as she appears <laughs> to be in the show because in a way I think she's at the heart of the outlaws I do love her now yeah. Kellyanne Taylor was was an impressive stand-in for you last week Ren I've got to say I mean obviously That's, not as good Kellyanne as you, is but, brilliant yes but she she <laughs> yeah she is brilliant obviously not as good as you but I can't remember what you said you were doing last week what was the excuse last week I think I was in Sweden last week for oh. a wedding well it's so easy to forget isn't it with a schedule like your own um <laughs> I've never been to Sweden what's it what's it like Oh my God, we had the best time. We went to Gothenburg for a couple of days and it did pour with rain. It's the smaller, it's the second biggest city next to Stockholm. And it was incredibly quiet for a city, but right. it was really interesting. We didn't have a bad meal the whole time we were there. And then we went to a spa for two days and we had, you know, the whole cold baths, hot saunas, hot outside hot tubs and a bit of nakedness because the Swedes love to get naked in the water, which I do think is something that we should all be doing a lot more. It was very fun. Do you? I think that's a separate yeah. podcast, love, but um, I look forward to hearing about that. <laughs> the, and the, the wedding podcast. was really cool because it was oh, all of, course, of the Swedish yeah. uh, tradition. It was Mike's friend from home marrying a Swedish bloke and... It was just really lovely to have the sort of two clashing cultures trying to do everything in one wedding. It was really fun. What what sort of rituals or, or little things do they do in Sweden at weddings that we wouldn't know about here then? They let anyone and everyone do a speech. So if you want to join in, you literally can just stand up and do a poem or a song or a dance or a speech. Um, and there's no length limit. <laughs> um <laughs> What else? There was lots of schnapps on the table. We were singing Swedish rhymes and drinking schnapps all the way through. Honestly, it was great. You'd have loved it. Can I just say, I don't like the idea of like anyone can stand up and do something. I mean, you wouldn't want that I catching know. on in Britain. No, you absolutely wouldn't. Oh, God, that sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> also, you came up. I was sitting opposite somebody who listened to the podcast and loves you. Well, excellent. Um, and were they Swedish? They were Irish, actually. Okay, even better. Yeah. Uh, that's, well, that sounds a very um, impressive way to spend your time. Can we talk briefly about the uh, Platinum Jubilee coverage, which I did see a fair bit of. I mean, not every every Platinum moment, but, but quite a few moments. How much did you see? 
I saw, I think, approximately zero minutes on TV. I saw a, a bit. I saw a bit on Twitter. Can you fill me in on what happened? Can't believe you haven't seen the Paddington sketch in its entirety. I thought there was a genuine touch of genius about that. The plinking of the cutlery in time with the intro to We Will Rock You. I'm sorry, but I want to know about the creative genius who thought that one up. That was brilliant. For me, there were some lowlights. I'm not massively into motorised corgis um, in, in pageants, I decided. I found that a bit disturbing. There was a lot to enjoy. The concert on Saturday night featured uh, everyone. I thought Celeste did the most stunning version of What a Wonderful World. Um, you're a big fan of Hamilton and some of the cast were on stage. There was I a am. musical section. Uh, it was very hard, I appreciate, to come up with a lineup to impress the entire nation, anyone of any age you might be watching. So, of course, it was a bit hit and miss, depending on what age group you fell into. Yeah. But I've got a soft, real soft spot increasingly for Rod Stewart. I mean, he comes on Oh, my goodness, on. Jane. Oh. Well, I know. I, 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 I'm questioning myself, but the guy knows how to work a crowd. He gives a show. He was in Canary oh, Yellow. Of a certain age. Yes. <laughs> And I actually felt he should have topped the bill and not Diana Ross. But there we go. That's controversial. But what was lovely, and which everybody agreed, I think, was that it was great to see Kirsty Young back on the telly. And um, she held yes. it all together really well, actually. Very professional. Although no one was critical. Um, there was absolutely no criticism at all. And um, not much room for any kind of dissent. So I think those conversations probably are for another time. But yes, plenty to enjoy. Let's dig into the reviews this week then, uh, starting with Backstage with Catherine Ryan. It's on Amazon Prime from tomorrow. That's Thursday, June the 9th. Let's hear a quick clip from the trailer for Backstage with Catherine Ryan. Here we go. Please welcome on stage the wonderful Catherine Ryan! We have some of the funniest comics alive. You're in for a real treat. Well, if that's offensive, where I'm going is not great. Another day at the office. Joel waxed his butthole. <laughs> Stand by. I'm going to go as well. I have a dedicated makeup room. It's an emergency room, Special isn't it? Special effects, yeah. yeah it's yeah. the same people that did Jurassic Park. <laughs> they love Catherine, man. What a queen. Oh, my God, it's so random. I don't know how to talk to girls while they're sitting on my face. <laughs> I was going to ask you, Rihanna, to explain what there is to this, but I guess it, the title does it really, doesn't it? It's a load of comics and we just see some of them backstage as well as on stage. Yes. Uh, you can probably tell from the rather careworn tone in my voice that it didn't do a lot for me, but did you like it? <laughs> I think there are bits I loved about this and bits I didn't so much. I do genuinely think it is quite a lot of fun to see the comedians supposedly on their downtime, just gently ribbing each other backstage and seeing sort of where the connections are. If you're interested in the comedy scene, if you've grown up watching Live at the Apollo, etc. It's quite, you know, it is it's lifting the curtain to a certain extent. They sort of have this bit where they they say that the comedians don't know that the cameras are there behind the scenes. Of course they do. You can't film people without that. their consent and put it on TV. second. No. No. And especially when Jimmy Carl was like, I'm going to stay here because there are more cameras on me. <laughs> that was quite funny. So I really liked the relationship and the, the dynamic between Catherine and Jeff, but I didn't really know Jeff. Who's Jeff? Jeff, that's Jeff Norcott, who's kind of carved out a really interesting niche for himself in Britain as the country's, well, he says, the country's only right-wing comedian. And I mean, I like Jeff. Uh, I, I wouldn't say he's not especially right wing, but he kind of rather cleverly 
doesn't just do all the predictable liberal pinko type stuff that, let's be honest, an awful lot of comedians, for a string of quite good reasons, you might say, do attach themselves to. So Jeff offers a bit of an alternative. And I, yeah, I agree with you. I liked, I do like him and I like his relationship with Catherine. I mean, I didn't believe for one minute that they didn't know they were being filmed. And I found all that backstage stuff really laboured. And I just didn't, I just didn't get off on it at all. I just did not see what I was supposed to glean from it. I didn't, I don't mean, I don't really like Jimmy Carr. I thought his material when he went on stage was also quite dated. Oh, yes. I don't know when they filmed it, but it did seem quite old. So it was filmed in the May to August of last year. So it is a year old in terms of its references. And that's the thing that does date it. It's the COVID jokes because they they talk about, pretty much all of them talked about lockdown um, and predominantly, I think, the first lockdown. So it was quite a weird... Yeah, it was quite a strange thing to be watching this now. And it, yeah, it definitely aged it incredibly quickly. But I guess you do see how it's a community, the the comedy circuit with everyone helping and supporting each other, even writing each other's punchlines, which I thought was quite telling in some respects. Do you think it is that friendly and supportive? Because how would you imagine it would be a nest of comedic vipers frankly um i mean if that is really what goes on then that's lovely but i'm just not sure and maybe i'm just a cynic i'm just not sure i believe that either i did think desiree birch was funny yes in fact i I liked her routine i thought she was really sharp i thought she was really pacey you could have had more of her and actually it was all kind of building up to jimmy carr but then he he did a really short set didn't he and it as i say it just wasn't particularly topical because i watched the first two episodes and the headliners were both male and established frankie boyle and jimmy carr and they were both still making jokes about being fat and about nazis and i just think for younger generations that isn't funny or exciting and the bits i also enjoyed were desiree birch ivo graham and sarah Pasco, who just have a little bit more of an idea about what we perhaps want to see with comedians. And of course, comedy is so subjective. We are not, it's going to be like that concert, the Jubilee concert. You cannot get it comedy right for everyone. Um, but I do feel like there was very little effort made by the ones who were headlining comparatively to the younger, slightly newer comics. Although let's be honest, they've still been around for quite a long time themselves, who it felt like were giving us genuinely slightly newer, fresher material. I just don't know why you'd watch that. If you if you like comedians, you can easily find their material wherever you want. Is it Late Night at the, at the Apollo, that quite regular show on the BBC? Yeah. And then you can find it. They've all got um, endless stuff out there on Netflix and, and everywhere else. I'm just not sure why you'd seek this out, actually. I don't know. I mean, there must, have, there must be some fabulous thinking behind it I just couldn't work out what I thought one scene was great where you hear you do hear horrible stories of predatory male comedians taking advantage of female comedians and the scene that I'm thinking of is Catherine Ryan and Sarah Pascoe having a really in-depth chat about it so it's not like it's trying to sugarcoat anything necessarily about the industry um but it I do I do agree that I think it is for a very specific audience, but I think, you know, perhaps we're just not it. I think people will enjoy this if they're fans of just watching comedians at work, you know, figuring out their jokes on each other and testing things out and taking taking the piss out of each other. That There is definitely an audience for that. It's just perhaps yes. not us. And I should say, I'm, I am in awe of these people. I cannot think with some obvious exceptions, of a tougher way of earning a living than deciding that you'd like to be a comedian. Um, I think it's properly scary and I do hugely admire their courage 
um, whilst also finding this a little bit indulgent, if I'm honest. But you're right. I'm sure it will find its fans. It really will. It's Backstage with Catherine Ryan on Amazon Prime, uh, dropping beginning tomorrow. That is Thursday, the 9th of June. Now, next up, it's Everything I Know About Love on BBC One, and it started on Tuesday the 7th of June at 10.40. It is also released as a box set. I suppose I was a bit surprised this wasn't on at nine o'clock, and and then I watched more of it, and I realised why it wasn't. Now, I interviewed Dolly Alston last week. Um, This is her best-selling autobiography turned into a seven-part BBC series. Here's a clip from the show. Maggie has just returned from her first date with a man she believes, honestly, is really called Street. Oh, how'd it go? Yeah, good, I think. Playing the long game. Kev? Yeah? Nothing else, though. I'm uh, eking it out. Don't want to use up all of his attention too quickly, you know? When's his birthday? Don't know. I can find out. What's his name? Baxter. Street Baxter. Wait, what do you mean, use up his attention? He's either into you or he isn't. Mm, I think he probably has loads of other girls on the go, so there's an allotted amount of attention for each of us. That is so rank. Gemini. Knew it. I'm the one in control, though. Okay, that is Maggie, uh, played by Emma Appleton in this new series, Everything I Know About Love. Do you know what? It really makes me think it's just how grateful I am not to be in my 20s, um, Rihanna, to be honest. Um, (laughs) uh, It really just... I mean, it's closer closer to home for you than it is um, than it is for me, certainly. But I just it just looks exhausting and frightening, and you're so vulnerable, and you have to go out on dates with people like Street. I mean, for Pete's sake, anyway. <laughs> um, so just set this up for us. This is essentially four girls uh, in their twenties sharing a flat in Camden. Yes, and it's about the highs and lows of being in your 20s and the hopes and the dreams that you carry with you, the friends that you make and keep. And yeah, you're right, it is quite exhausting and frightening. Although I don't know about it being closer to home because you have daughters and I can imagine that for you watching this, so much of it is thinking about them and about how... I think it's so much about self-worth, especially in those early episodes. And I imagine... I don't know, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I think I would be worrying about or hoping that my daughters would have more self-worth than some of the characters in this. Oh gosh, you are, you are right. That does It does strike a bit of a, a raw nerve. I think it will do with a lot of people <laughs> my age with, with kids in their 20s. Also, I have to say that um, Dolly Alderton's it is her. It's her story and the character is renamed Maggie in this, but it is essentially Dolly. And her parents are just lo- lovely people whose fault is, or... Well, you could accuse them of simply being too affectionate um, and too decent and just too bloody nice to her. Um, And that is when you really do, as a parent, start to tear your hair out and think, oh, so would it have been better if I'd been doing all the tough love stuff? I don't know. I think it will really, really have a huge audience of people around this age or people like me seeing it through slightly different eyes or people who did it five years ago and are glad they're not doing it anymore or people in their <laughs> teens who are who are looking forward to doing it, frankly. And I don't know, I'm not going to allow either of my kids to live in Camden. Having watched the show, uh, that, that will not be happening. Did, did you enjoy all of it or other parts of it that didn't ring true for you? Because I do think, if I was going to be critical, that I wonder whether some people will say, well, these people seem to have a lot of money and they don't seem to have a lot of practical concerns. Would that would that be fair? I do think it's fair that they, they do come from quite privileged households, and but they don't 
quite acknowledge that perhaps when they are living in this incredible house in Camden. Um, And I think it's a really good idea of Dolly's not to make the main character also called Dolly and Farley, but to have them Maggie and Birdie, because there is a little bit of distance then. And I think she is able to project some more fictional stories onto them because Maggie is a bit of a knob, but she's a lovable one. And she sort of, she thinks that she's living in the sixties and she wanders around naked or in a hat, smoking a cigarette, like just trying so hard to be cool all the time and to be fair she is pretty cool actually um I, there's there are so many aspects of this that I did relate to like the bottomless brunch scene where they all just immediately down it as quickly as possible we've all been to those bottomless brunches where they're like you've got 40 minutes to drink as much prosecco as you can and uh, and then don't come around for ages so you just have to quickly down it in front of them so they can fill you up before they go I mean all of that was completely spot on she even says at one point as well I'm having a nervy bee and this is a line that is from Louise Renison's book, I think, Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging, which I grew up with. I'm having a nervous breakdown. It's so my generation. So yes, I, there were bits of this that I loved, but I just wasn't as cool as them. And there is an element of aspiration somehow still in this, whether it's about the freedom of their sexuality when Tinder is introduced. And we know now in hindsight about tinder and you know the pros and the cons and in this i think they they do focus primarily on the the ease of which that they are able to just go and have a brilliant sex life and it does look incredibly fun and joyful and playful but then they bring in these elements of amara is a black girl who's on tinder and she gets loads of men fetishizing her race and they they sort of deal with that it really briefly, I think, but it because it's from Maggie's perspective, it makes her come across like a shallow idiot, not really being interested in her friend's experience, only being interested in herself. And, I, I, you know, I think it's all quite cleverly done with a lot of stuff going on at the periphery of her life that she is just so unaware of and so insensitive to. Yes. And I think yeah. a lot of... We know a lot of people like that when we were in our 20s, if we weren't them ourselves. So I think well, it's pretty yeah. spot on, to be honest. No, I think it is very, very honest. And you're absolutely right to pick up on that as a good example of, of Maggie just doing her own thing in her own rather comfortable bubble uh, because she can. And yeah, how many of us didn't behave yeah. in that fashion in our 20s? Um, there are some genuinely hilarious moments. Also, Maggie is irresponsible. You know, when she goes back to her parents in the third episode and attends a, a local mm. fundraiser, there was a, a raffle and one of the prizes being drawn uh, was for an earwax removal session. And <laughs> I, I actually, I wrote down, I wrote it down because I, I would really like to win an earwax <laughs> removal session in a raffle. Um, so I just, I, I really think people will enjoy this show for a string of reasons. At its best, your 20s can be just utterly joyous. At their best, they can be yes. just fantastic. Relatively responsibility-free um, and, you know, living, genuinely, you probably are living your best life. I'm here to tell you, you probably are. Gosh, that's de- that's depressing, isn't it? That is depressing. I don't know. I think it made me reflect on my 20s and think about how frightened I was turning 30. And actually, now I'm here, a weight has been removed and I I don't do the things that I don't want to do. And 
it's just a different time. I don't. I think you know we're we're so obsessed with kind of creating these decades and these eras for ourselves as being better or worse. But of course, there are going to be highs and lows in every single year, decade of our life. So I would um, unhesitatingly recommend everything I know about love. There will be carpers because I think there will be people saying, "Oh, they seem to have loads of money." But this is. Well, I mean, in the end, we've got to make shows that, that feature people's real life experiences and there are plenty of people up still and there certainly were back in 2012 when this is set who were doing okay and and having a good time yeah from the bank of mum and dad as well yeah yes absolutely yeah well and that's made very clear too which um, is me it's as well. everything i know about love and it is available as a box set on the bbc iplayer it's being shown at 10 40 at night because there is quite a lot of sex in it um there's simply, oh yeah that's just we're just telling you Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Hi, it's Stephen Colbert, and I'm here to tell you about The Late Show Pod Show, which is the podcast of The Late Show with me, Stephen Colbert, and I'm here with my uh, producer of the podcast, Becca. Hi, Becca. Hi, Stephen. So what do people get when they listen to The Late Show Pod Show? Let's, let's sell this thing. The extended moments, for sure, because we run out of time for broadcast, but we have plenty of time on the podcast. It's kind of like being a live audience member of the show because you get things that no one else hears. Listen to The Late Show Pod Show with Stephen Colbert wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be talking about Real Britannia a little bit later. Uh, First, let's get into my interview with Gamba Cole, one of the stars of season two of The Outlaws. He was in season one as well, of course. This is a comedy thriller. It's on BBC One on terrestrial television. It started on Sunday the 5th of June at nine o'clock. But again, it's available as a box set too. Let's hear a clip from The Outlaws. It features Stephen Merchant. He plays a bent lawyer called Gregory. And this will just give you an idea of just how funny this show can be before we talk to Gamba Cole. That's the lady I told you about. The one you like? Yeah, what do I do? Be yourself. Thanks, Greg. Oh, no problem, Marie. Which floor? Should we work on the same floor? Oh. <laughs> Good for you for cycling to work. It's very healthy. No, no, it's a bad idea. I'm sweating so much I need another shower now. Oh, oh yeah. You don't want to get a yeast infection? No. I just mean from wearing just the same sweaty clothes all day that, you know, can create humid crotch conditions. Leading to a, a, a buildup of, of fungus in your vaginal cavity. Gambit, for new joiners for the Outlaws, because um, I don't want to give too many spoilers away, can you just set this up for anyone who hasn't seen, I mean, they should have seen it, but if they haven't seen season one, who are this crazy, disparate group of people? Well, 
The Outlaws, it uh, basically is a story about seven different people from different walks of life all coming together for community service. It's about really just different types of people and their points of view and how they feel about societal issues and whatever they're going through in their personal lives as well. But um, the bigger point or the plot, I would say, is the coming together of those seven people and actually needing each other um, in a very, very tough and realistic situation. Um, but it's also a comedy as well. There's loads of laughs and, you know, there's a bit of romance and there's some thriller as well in there too. Yeah, I mean, there it certainly is thriller because it, it can veer at times within a, just a couple of seconds from high comedy, and you really are laughing at them, uh, to moments of genuine terror. In some ways, it's quite unsettling. It's quite a trip, isn't it, this? Yeah, no, of course. I think what was so great about Stephen's writing is that he wanted to make it feel like real life. And that's sort of like what real life is. You know, you have those great moments where everything seems so good and everything's lovely. And then you're hit with like moments of pressure and angst and stakes where you have to make critical and vital decisions. Maybe not always like, you know, life altering, but, you know, you, you're also, um, you know, you go through those those things. So I think that's what Stephen wanted to replicate as well. And with the topics that we touch on as well throughout the series, I think it was important that we just stay as authentic as well so that everybody who watches it can relate to one character but by yeah. the end of the series sort of sympathise with with us all. Uh, the Stephen you mentioned is Stephen Merchant who stars in it and yeah. also write, writes and directs it. What What is he yeah. like? Obviously he's super, super funny but he's he's just a, he's a genius man. He's very meticulous and he knows exactly what he wants to get and one thing that I've, well, I learned many things from him, but being on set with him, one thing that I really did learn was just the details in certain performances and how those puzzle pieces connect to make the bigger picture. And because um, he's so detailed and so careful and precise, I, as an actor, just, I'm allowed to just trust him and know that even sometimes it may not feel exactly right to me, I can just trust Stephen and obviously the other directors and John and Alicia in season two and just know that they know exactly what's going on and they can, they will piece this puzzle together. You don't have to worry about it too much. Um, but yeah, away from set as well, you know, Stephen would call me and we will talk about the character and stuff that doesn't feel too right. I will discuss with him and if I have other options, I can bring it to him as well when he's not too precious about the writing, which is, which is great for an actor because I, I really like to bring something to the table, you know, and, um, he says that actors always look from the inside out, whereas the directors look from the outside in. So he trusts that because we know our characters, we sort of have uh, a different perspective on certain things and he allows us to explore that. I think, I could be wrong, I think you're, are you the youngest member of this cast? No, 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 Rianne is the youngest. Is she a little bit younger than you? Yeah. Okay, uh, but you are, you're both working alongside... Christopher Walken which I mean there must have been moments I know you're from Bristol there must have been moments when you just thought this this is crazy I am starring in this series set in my hometown with somebody who's a you know a Hollywood legend the man the man he's he's incredible of course I mean the first day that he was on set I was nervous because I was just like I've I've watched you on television I've grown up watching you and now we actually get to share this space you know and (laughs) Not just that you get to speak and share conversations. And I remember he was telling me about how he used to go for walks in Bristol. Um, and I was like, but 
wouldn't people like recognize you because i would i would recognize him he was like no i wear my cap and and stuff were you able to show him around bristol no because we we shot the majority of this through the pandemic so oh, yeah. when we were out of work we were just staying in our respective accommodations oh that's miserable and you, you shot series two at the same time did you yeah it wasn't just like season one first and then season two we shot a lot of season two in amongst season one. So like, for example, you know, in the morning you might do season two, episode four, and then in the afternoon you're doing season one, episode six, and then in the evening you might do season two, episode six, you know? So it's, it's just something like that. It was just quite, um, quite a mix. That totally boggles me as a viewer. I don't know how the actors get their heads around that. I really don't. Um, it's also, we've got to say, the character that you play, and I don't think this is a spoiler, Christian, for a start, it's not actually your real name. And you shouldn't be doing that community service, should you? No, no, I shouldn't. But um, circumstances have um, made him, forced him really into a position where he's um, had to, I mean, I don't know how much I'm I'm allowed to give away, but um, yeah, well, his story is a very intricate and detailed one. Yes, and it's made even more complicated by the fact that you start off as an entirely innocent person who shouldn't be there, but because of your circumstances, you do then become involved in what we, well, what certainly is um, criminal stroke highly dangerous yeah. activity so it's such a brilliant yeah. <laughs> setup i mean that you have to i'm sure you do give huge credit to to stephen the merchant's mind for coming up with all this how did they the, oh, I yeah. suppose did they have to sell it to you this this job or did you just leap at it oh, when you were not at all i mean the the first scene i ever got when i had to send a self-tape off i was like i need to be a part of this and plus i heard that it was filming in bristol and obviously being from there i was like i it was, i have to be a part of this even if I was an extra in the back with some shopping bags or something I want to be in this show so it was it was an easy sell um you know the more like when I got a recall and stuff like that you got to see a bit more of the script and a few more scenes and you just from then you just fall in love with the character and it's just as an actor when you find writing that is so good it's hard not to imagine yourself as the character so you go through that process of like trying to like not get too excited about it because you haven't even got it yet. But you're so excited about the project that even if I didn't get it, I would still watch this show. One of the funniest characters is uh, Jessica Gunning, who plays Diane. Now, she is, <laughs> yeah. uh, I think officially the term is larger than life. She's the person supposedly, theoretically, in charge of your community service. But she is one of the great comic creations of recent television, I think. I mean, the woman is just incredibly funny absolutely magnificent and she she's such a pro on set like she would be in character all day and um you know when we i just sit there and watch her and just watch her process as she like makes the decisions for her character and stuff and for me it was so like obviously for the scenes you know you can't really see these things but it was so hard not to laugh when jess is doing what she's doing because she's incredible for me she steals every scene that she's in What's next for you then? Because this show has been a success and I think a lot of people are actually delighted to see something set in Bristol. It does feel like a a bit of a change. Br Bristol's having a moment, isn't it? Because all of a sudden you can't move for shows set in Bristol. Yeah, no, I think it's lovely though. I think the more cities in the UK that are broadcasted and put on a platform like the BBC and Amazon Studios and stuff like that, I think the better. You know, um, there's so many beautiful cities in the UK 
and Bristol's one of them. You know, we, we wanted to make sure that we showcased that through some of the shots and the places that we filmed. And, you know, we wanted to make sure that it was sort of like a, an ode to Bristol, you know, mm. like just showing how colourful and how vibrant this city is. What is next for you then? What have you got going on now? Yeah, for me, nothing at the moment. I think um, I'm in a place where I've got to think carefully about the next step. Um, I've been given such a great platform with the Outlaws season one and season two. So now I've been put in sort of a, a new territory, you know, where I have to be a bit more a bit more meticulous about what I do next and the direction that I want to go in. You're being a little bit cagey there. <laughs> what about things like Marvel films, for example? Would would that be an area that you would you would leap to get involved with? Yeah, yeah. Mar- the Marvel Universe and the DC Universe is definitely something that I would love to be a part of. That's like, for me, that's that would be the the big goal. That's the big dream. Okay, the Radio Times always likes to ask people what they're enjoying on television or on streaming now. So can I ask you, Gamba, have you got any a current series that you're working your way through or, or something you've enjoyed lately? I just finished a series on Disney Plus called Dope Sick. Do you, do you know that show? Yeah, the, is it the Sackler family and their the yeah, drug yeah, yeah. company? Yeah, starring Michael Keaton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's about the drug company that is that's making um drugs for medium pains and stuff like that, and it gets people addicted. Watch the Responder on yeah. BBC iPlayer Two. Love that show. That shows a. amazing really good solid recommendations um gamba thank you so much for your time really appreciate it and congratulations on on your work in, in the outlaws it's brilliant thank you thank you so much thank you that is gamba cole talking about being in the outlaws and his dreams of maybe getting involved with a big marvel film i think he's i think he has got something that he's already signed up to but he wasn't able to tell me at least i hope he has because he he should have after starring in this um i find that the outlaws an odd show in the sense that it can be extremely funny, but also quite violent. And it and it veers from one to the other within a nanosecond. And that's what stops me being a real, real fan of it. Does that make sense, Rihanna? That's not a problem for me, actually. I don't mind that. I think because we talked about the Outlaws series one, and I think we were both pretty enthusiastic about it. Um, but I don't feel like a huge amount has changed. I, I think the stakes are still the same. The problems are still the same. They're still, the the point is that they've stolen money from this drug dealer yes. and now they have to pay it back. And that was always the problem. And that, so I'm, and I, still is. I feel like yeah. it's got a bit static. That's, that's my main issue with this series too. But that's not to say that it's not, Everything that I loved about the first series isn't still there because it is. I do, I think it is hilarious. It really, it's a show that really makes me laugh out loud. And I'm really enjoying the sweet romance between Ben and Rani, Gamba Cole and Rianne Barreto. There's something so innocent about it and, but also lasting. And I, I just, I love them both. I think they have a great relationship. I'm trying to work through what my problem with the show is. I think it's that I can't rely on it precisely because the mood changes so quickly. And you, as you say, there are moments of real sweetness and brilliant mm. British sarcasm and irony in some of the dialogue. And then yeah. it just takes this really violent turn. And, and I, mm-hmm. I find that a bit jarring. It's a problem for me rather than for lots of other people. I do wonder whether new joiners would be able to follow what's happening. And we should say that Gamba plays a character 
who we think was we thought was called Christian, but as you've just pointed out, is now called Ben, because in the first series he should never have been doing community service. He was doing it for someone else. It was all the whole thing is is just quite a complex web of plot. Yeah. But comes down, as you point out, to one thing. They they've been coerced into stealing a load of money from some very nasty people who unsurprisingly want their money back. I totally understand what you mean about the the genre shifts. And I think Stephen Merchant does do comedy better than any other genre. And so that's where the strengths lie in this series. Mm. And when it does go into the violence and the... Because they get kidnapped an awful lot, I've got to be honest, or held at gunpoint an awful lot. I think it's just... That's what I mean about nothing has changed. That was all happening in series one and it's still happening again in series two. And I'm, I'm a bit like, well, I've seen that. I know what that looks like. I know what this series doing that looks like. What I haven't seen yet are more of the the one-liners and the like the brilliance from the community officer who, as I said, is getting a bigger and bigger role. And just the stuff that she comes out with is just, it just makes you howl with laughter. Um, on the other hand, I am enjoying how it sort of messes with our conception of what a criminal is and what isn't and our, our own prejudices about the class system. And there is quite a lot of commentary on those aspects of the criminal justice system. But I wonder if there are maybe one too many characters. Christopher Walken and her and his storyline is you know it's Christopher Walken we're always going to be like engaged and interested in that Darren Boyd with his story about being kicked out of his own company by his overbearing father I'm sort of less engaged with because there's less humour to be found there I think yeah it's that doesn't grab yeah. me that thread at all well <laughs> we had the Radio Times covers party a few <laughs> months ago our producer Hannah made a beeline for Gamba Cole just to tell him how how wonderful he is and said how much you would love to get him on the podcast and here he is so props to Hannah for making that happen <laughs> also if you want to hear from Stephen Merchant himself comedy genius that he is head to the Radio Times podcast feed where you can find the Radio Times bonus TV festival episode where writer Kellyanne interviews the biggest stars from Stephen Fry Rose Matafeo and Stephen Merchant among others and here's a little highlight from Stephen's interview that you can hear in that bonus episode you're right yes I did climb the Lady Godiva statue in Coventry City Centre and um and I touched her I'm not going to lie to you I touched her 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 giant iron breasts which I'm very aware is is not politically correct um and I apologize for that I'd like to apologize for that to Lady Godiva and uh, and anyone uh, who may have witnessed that. Um, but I was very drunk and a student. But you're right, that was the only time I got any uh, running with the police and they did caution me. Um, I think for climbing rather than for fondling. <laughs> Stephen Merchant on his brush with the law. Um, and that is available in the Radio Times podcast feed. Final review this week, it might for you, is Real Britannia. It's on BritBox starting tomorrow, Thursday, the 9th of June. There are weekly episodes and this is, well, I'm, I'm not going to put words into Rihanna's mouth, but this for me is a slightly earnest history of British film. That's about it, isn't it? That's one way of describing it. Yeah. Um, here's a clip. What is a British film? Don't ask me. I've, I haven't a clue. How do you define Britishness? What I don't think it is, is looking to another country for the the impetus. I think most filmmakers would say they're not defined by their country, but by their intention to communicate. There is Hollywood and there is world cinema. And world cinema is what we are part of. 
Yes, and that gives you an idea of the... It's quite dry, this at times, isn't it, uh, real Britannia? And you alluded earlier to the fact that we do see a lot of white men um, giving us the benefit of their opinions. Well, that's the trouble. So there is not one woman or person of colour as a contributor in the first episode. And I've only seen the first episode. There is um, a clip that's sort of throwing forward, which does have a female filmmaker speaking for about three seconds, um, which I think might come in a later episode. But I do think that's a real oversight, considering that we are talking in hindsight. We're not just talking to directors who were making films at the time, because Edgar Wright is in there. Um, so it, there isn't really an excuse for that. However, it is, it's made by the BFI, which, which is where we recorded ourselves a couple of weeks yeah. ago. And I thought learning about that, the conception of the BFI, the South Bank, how all of that scene came to be. That I did to enjoy. Attlee's government. That was really yeah. interesting because yeah. I didn't know of it. And I spent so much time there. Um, and, you know, Royal Festival Hall and all of that sort of area. I mean, it's a great place to just go and hang out, actually. This is the kind of stuff that I really do love. <laughs> it starts off with, um, because it's all about the 60s, British cinema in the 60s, starts off with Room at the Top. And I mm. have a poster of this on my wall, literally, I'm pointing at it right now. It's right. one of my all-time favourites from that era. And then it does take us through the 60s in a really easy to follow, but also quite forensic way. And if you haven't already heard Edgar Wright talking about where he gets a lot of his inspiration from. It's all pretty evident in these movies, specifically Billy Liar starring Tom Courtney. Um, I honestly, this is very much up my street as a critic. As, uh, this is eras that I learned about at college and at university. So it, it was oddly nostalgic for me to sort of be learning about it again um, in a slightly later context but obviously it didn't grab you quite in the same way no it didn't although I was it was good to be reminded of things like room at the top um and then Saturday night and Sunday morning that was another slice of yes. British life from from that era and, and a taste and, of um, honey a taste of honey that I've written because Rita Toshingham um stars in a taste of honey and she was in the responder which um Gamba was also was talking about I mean Rita Toshingham was also of course in Dr Zhivago and she's one of those brilliant stalwart British actors who's been around for my entire kind of viewing life. So it was good to be reminded of her. And the fact that A Taste of Honey was written by a young woman called Sheila Delaney, who was only 19 mm-hmm. when she 19. wrote the play. It was based on, I mean, and then she died very young as well. So, and that was good because it felt like women's stories were coming to the fore because up until then, it all been about these so-called angry young men. Yes. Um, Quite why they had any right to be angrier than the women at the time, I don't. I don't know, but I. I just. I found it all. Like you, I was just irritated by these old codgers um, banging on about themselves <laughs> on the whole. <laughs> Those old codgers, by the way, are Ken Loach and Terence Davies and <laughs> yes, uh... <laughs> David Putnam. <laughs> yes, okay. Stephen um, Frears. No, <laughs> yes, some wonderfully gifted. But I'm afraid by the, the the time I was watching the sort of seventh um, old, yes. older older Talking man, yeah, yeah. It, it became a bit too much. I have to say I probably checked out of Real Britannia, but it is available on BritBox um, for people who are re- genuinely interested in. And and Rihanna's right, there's great bits, chunks of social history in here that a lot of people will really enjoy. Now, the quiz of the week will follow Correspondence Corner. Um, do you have Correspondence Corner, Rihanna? 
This is from Rachel. Hi, Jane and Rihanna. Have you already reviewed Clickbait? It landed back in 2021. Get me using Rihanna's trendy terminology. Do I say landed? Yeah, I probably do. Uh, On Netflix, which I think predates your podcast, so maybe not. We just stumbled on it for something to watch in bursts midweek, and we found it quite engaging. A couple of the characters are a little unbelievable, but it certainly does a lot to raise awareness around social media, touches on racism, and relationships of all sorts. Just thought you might like to give it a try. Keep up the great podcasts, Rachel. Thanks, Rachel. I actually did see the first episode. You've reminded me because I just somehow let it drop. I think, you know, August, I think it came out. I will definitely go back to it based on your recommendation. Jane, I think it is, it's going to be quite a fun one for you as well. Do you think? Okay, thank you very much. If there's something that's really irritating you about uh, television, or if you particularly had a view on the coverage of the Platinum Jubilee, maybe, podcast at radiotimes.com. I'm immersing myself in Borgen at the moment. We talked about it last week with Kellyanne and I'm very much on board with it. Um, it's taken a while, but Borgen has finally got to me because I too, I think, could be a really disenchanted, over overworked foreign minister in a coalition government at a time of crisis. Well, You've missed clothes. your casting call. That's perfect. I, I, I really do think I have. Okay, quiz of the week. Now, I'm not sure whether we'll have the fanfare uh, just because the Platinum Jubilee put an enormous amount of pressure on our instrumentalist. <laughs> but um, if he is able to come to the wicket, despite all his efforts over the, the last couple of days, I'd be really grateful. Let's see. Doesn't he sound tired? Yeah, he does. I mean, I, I, I don't know. There is a musicians' union, and I can only hope that he's a member of it and gets the right support. Now, um, this is the quiz where Rihanna, in this case, has to guess the year from some very, I think, very easy TV and popular culture <laughs> clues. <laughs> Here we go. The American TV <laughs> sitcom. Shade already, honestly. Yeah. Well, the Fresh Prince of Bel Air made its UK small screen debut in this year. Um, the eponymous prince is a very young Will Smith. Here's a clip from the first episode. Hey, Uncle Phil! Oh. How you doing? <clears throat> I am not your Uncle Philip. Oh, uh, my fault, man. I must have got the wrong crib. But, hey, yo, I ain't know with so many brothers living in this neighborhood. <laughs> we doing all right, huh? <laughs> you have the right house. I am Jeffrey, your uncle's butler. Oh, okay, well, uh, cheerio and all that, Rolf, and I... Seriously, bring the horses around, would you? <laughs> if you will follow me, I will show you to your room, Master William. Poor long-suffering Geoffrey. Yes, an attempt at a British accent there. Now, of course, best known for slapping Chris Rock across the chops, uh, that was Will Smith. Does does that year help you at all? I've I've got a window. I've got a window. In mind. Okay. ITV airs the first ever Prime Suspect, starring Helen Mirren as DCI Jane Tennyson. It featured themes of sexism in the workplace and institutional racism. Here's a compilation of some of the lines that made Prime Suspect so successful. That if you continue to investigate persons... No, 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 not persons, just one person. Against specific instructions, then disciplinary action will be taken. Take it, sir. And I will fight you every inch of the way. We know the route she took home, so I want everyone on that route questioned, and that means everyone. I mean, including the neighbour's cat. Someone must have seen something. 
You have no right to waste my time. Oh, I have every right, and I will keep you here as long as I wish. You have lied, you have withheld vital evidence, and you, Miss Smythe, have wasted my time. You want the ladies? Come with me. This is murder, Sheila. That means prison for life. Not probation and some nice little holiday camp somewhere. I'm the senior officer here. I'll decide what's relevant. No, I finished. No, I have not, so shut up and sit down. Helen Mirren in her pomp. I think my uncle had a real crush on Helen Mirren in this. And I can tell from those clips why now. My goodness. The Darling Buds of May came to ITV starring Catherine Zeta-Jones. Now in this clip, she's gone on a boat trip with Charlie, who's played by Philip Frank. Are you really leaving today? I must. You don't have to. If you don't like sleeping in the billiard room, I'll make you a bed up in the attic. It's nice there. Sunday dinner is always something special. Ma's going to cook a goose or two. Not the ones... (laughs) Probably. So what do you think? Well, if it's not too much trouble. Of course not. The final clues. Iraqi leader Saddam Hussein announced the withdrawal of Iraqi troops from Kuwait and films of the year, The Silence of the Lambs, Bill and Ted's Bogus Journey, and there was a remake of Cape Fear. Was it 1994 then? Are you really sure about that? Was it 1991? Correct! Yeah! You are an absolute star. What do you recall about 1991? Actually, just out of interest, you were about one in 1991, weren't you? I was two. So in all fairness, you probably weren't enjoying... Well, you certainly wouldn't have been getting stuck into Prime Suspect at the age of two. I mean, if um, my, my dad, my mum and dad would 100% have been watching it, so maybe I was by proxy, just yeah. happened to be in the room. Yeah. If you if you want to tell us about your favourite TV memory, contact podcast at radiotimes.com. That's also where we'll take recommendations for shows that perhaps we haven't mentioned but you're thoroughly enjoying or intensely disliking. We don't really care because we appreciate all opinions are out there and we don't always like everything, as you can tell. Um, you can also find <laughs> us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. It's at Radio Times. Our star guest next week is a housewife's favourite, James Nesbitt, who's playing a cop again in... In Suspect, which is a hard-hitting uh, series of two-handers, I think that's the technical term, which is going to be shown on Channel 4. Um, I enjoyed Suspect, but it's uh, it's quite a tough watch at times. But we'll discuss that in next week's podcast. If you want a list of the programmes we've talked about today and where to find them, you can go to the episode notes wherever you get your podcasts. Do follow to get episodes as soon as they come out. And please do tell everybody you know who loves a bit of telly about the Radio Times podcast. If you want to subscribe to the Radio Times magazine, and on the cover this week, it's Alison Oliver and Joe Alwyn, the stars of Conversations with Friends. You can go to buysubscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times, buysubscriptions.com forward slash Radio Times, and then you'll never miss out on your copy of the Radio Times magazine. And if you still want more, then don't forget Smart TV. That is the weekly bite-sized podcast, which brings you the best of what to watch, anything we might have missed, hosted by the Radio Times TV expert, David Butcher. And the Radio Times podcast is produced by... Something else? Kellyanne was so much better at this. For... Immediate media. <laughs> and we shambled to a conclusion, but as we pointed out at the start, we're recording this in industrial action circumstances. We're all from home. Bear with. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll see you again next week. Take care. Bye. Bye.